This is the podcast Constitutions for Democracy from the Albert Hirschman Center on Democracy and the Cost Action, Constitution Making and Deliberative Democracy. I am Janina Welp, and together with experts on the topic, I will explore the main challenges deliberative constitution making is facing nowadays. In this episode, we will focus on the uses of digital tools for collective constitution making. Beyond the over-optimistic views that some decades ago expected a new global democracy based on digitalization and the worst nightmares of manipulation and global spread of fake news, what is going on? We can define digital political participation as any human and willful activity of citizens aimed at intervening and influencing authority selections or public decision-making process that takes place in a digital sphere or is channeled by digital media. In this last episode of Constitution for Democracy, we want to explore the experiments aimed at introducing information and communication technologies in collective law and constitution making, as well as their consequences. One of the typical arguments in favor of introducing digital media for political communication refers to the increasing citizens' disengagement with formal politics. Digital media is foreseen as a mobilization tool. However, findings on the effects of technology over political participation have shown that these are rather modest and conditioned by the most typical variables influencing political participation, like social capital and political interest. Pippa Norris defined the focus on increasing digital politics as something like preaching to the convert, that may have the negative effect of increasing the political gap between insiders and outsiders. To talk about it, I have today two experts on the matter. What do you think about it? So I am um, Stephanie Wojcik. I'm a lecturer at the University of Paris-Créteil uh, near Paris in France, and I'm also head of the political and public communication department. I am a member of a research center, the CENITEC, which gathers researchers specialized in discourse analysis and communication studies especially in the political field. I am currently working on various research projects on digital participation during election campaigns in France. So I will try to uh, answer or give some uh, information uh, related to the question of Yanina. And I would like to remind that Pippa Norris' work has been um, extremely important and their article on pressing to the converted in a, a review called Party Politics in 2001 has put the democratic effect on the web on conventional political participation into perspective. She is, Pippa Norris, is very familiar with the American context in which, in the end, campaign websites serve primarily to mobilize the most committed people rather than to reach the politically indifferent. Based on a study of over own Android websites and data on their users in 15 European countries, it shows a similar trend among voters and a certain conservatism among parties. Political party websites in Europe attract the most politicized voters, supporters, and activists. Of course, since the important survey, people's digital practices have evolved and many technological and social changes have occurred, including the emergence of digital social networks, Facebook in 2004, YouTube in 2005, Twitter in 2006, and not to mention even New Year 
sites such as Snapchat or TikTok. Similarly, the political class has largely invested in the web and the somewhat artisanal character of the middle of 2000s is now in a distant memory. The team's campaign has become more professional and the web has become a space for political competition in the same way as other media, particularly during election campaign. As a result, there has been a, a many or proliferation of studies on online political participation that qualify Norris' uh, work on the early 2000s. At the very least, it can be said that the result of survey on the effects on the internet on political participation are contradictory. It helps to attract people who are usually underrepresented, such as women, young people, and racial and ethnic minorities. This can be seen in the collective mobilization that have gained visibility on Twitter with hashtags like uh, Black Lives Matter or MeToo. But for other people or other researchers, it does indeed reinforce inequalities or even the web and social network through the functioning of algorithms give a premium to conservative ideals. It should also be noted that the web gives rise to a wide variety of acts of participation. Ellen Margaret talks about tiny acts of political participation in her book Political Turbulence, such as making a very small donation, signing an online petition, but also liking a profile or a cause on Facebook or retweeting messages. And from this point of view, the disparities between individuals may be less marked. Other surveys have shown that while age, trust in parties and digital skills are significant predictors of online participation, but this is not the case, for example, for the level of education and the type of occupation. Therefore, it can be said that the question of the representativeness of those who participate online cannot be decided as radically as it could be in the early 2000s. For it also depends on how one defines online political participation. Thank you for this very complete overview on what is going on. You talk about more professionalization and contradictory results. No? There is more mobilization, but also a reinforcement of inequalities. We can follow now with Rafael. Yes, hello everybody. Hello Janine, thank you for this kind invitation for this last episode of your of this podcast. I must say it's a big responsibility for us to be the last one. I hope you will not be too much disappointed. So let me briefly introduce myself. I'm Raphael Thies. I'm researcher and teacher at the University of Luxembourg. I recently founded the PLDP, which is the Luxembourgish platform on participatory democracy, where we attempt to have a, an overview of all the experiment, participative experiments that are going on in Luxembourg. So with regards to, to your question, well, I will repeat some elements. Uh, maybe I will also add some, some new elements. So if we talk about the capacity of the online media to include the citizens in general, and yeah, I'm not talking about the institutional attempt to include the citizens that, as the one that we will see through to the constitutional reform, but in general, whether internet allows the participation of the broad public, I would tend to agree with what Pippa Norris is saying, even if we got contradictory results. What we see is that, is that in general, there's a very strong auto-selection bias and that in different media, whether in the form of, of newspaper, whether in social media, when people participate online, they tend to have already very strong interest in politics 
and very strong opinions. So it is rare that these people listen to the other or will be ready to change their mind as would wish the deliberative theories. I, however, would say that there is an important difference compared to the pre-online world and the theory of Neris preaching to converted, namely that the online forum, which also includes social media, have favored the emergence of new voices that before would remain in silence because they believe that they had no echo in society. The opinion that we observe is the opinion that express a fear of change in society. And they take the format of propagandistic view of fake news, but they're also bots, etc. In a way, we could say that the social media have allowed the emergence and the reinforcement of minority and sometimes extremist views that before were kept invisible through the famous phenomenon of spiral of silence. Spiral of silence, this is the famous theory of Neumann, and just to say in few words what it represents, this part of silence, is that citizens in the pre-social media area would not trust to express their opinions if they believe that the vast majority of the population reject them or does not share them. This phenomenon of spiral of silence were reinforced by the traditional media intended as independent and non-propagandistic media. Traditional media were giving visibility to the mainstream opinion. And we could say that through social media, uh, this minority opinion have found a way to express themselves because people that had a minority opinion found other people that were sharing their opinion. Uh, another phenomenon is that there's new opinion leaders online. These new opinion leaders tend to have a certain level of education and to support anti-mainstream parties and anti-system party. And as we just said before, social media are giving a lot of visibility to these new opinion leaders, also thanks to algorithms that give us further visibility and share more sensationalistic message, giving visibility to more extreme messages instead of more uh, non-extreme messages. So with your interventions, now we have a quite clear picture of what is going on in the general network, let's say, and how digital participation has evolved. But you are expert in researching and also you have been both engaged in, in the promotion of digital platforms for participation. And digital platforms in general have been increasingly used to engage people in deliberation. Despite that, in general, many publics and other online forums have shown limited and sometimes even controversial results in terms of inclusion, quality of the deliberation process and outcomes. Could you please expand on these ideas and illustrate with examples? Well, I will try, but it's a very difficult question because it's a question of achieving democratic ideals such as greater inclusion of people, quality deliberation and outcomes that are taken into account by political authorities and with technological devices that can do it alone. So firstly, it has been repeatedly shown that the design of uh, online participation or deliberation devices does indeed have a great influence on the quality of deliberation if it's measured by criteria such as the di diversity of views or the argumentative nature of the exchanges. For example, the first discussion forums 
where everyone express themselves in an anonymous way without any particular aim or objective, without moderation, obviously could not give rise to quality deliberation as Habermas theorized. So it's such as you can compare coffee shops with the normative criteria made by Habermas. It does not fit. The situation is now very different. The development of platforms specifically designed for debate and collective decision making, such as, for example, this team created in Barcelona and used by uh, several cities to set up various types of participatory projects, such as participatory budgets or assemblies. It's not only for deliberation, it's also made for consultative projects. Quite often, uh, consultative projects work uh, better than deliberative ones because it's more difficult to make a good deliberative event. On the other hand, other mechanisms created by institutional authorities have shown their limits in terms of diversity of views due to the political will to restrict the debates to predefined topics. We give you an example. This is the case, for example, in France. Great national debate initiated by President Macron in 2018, where users of the internet were essentially required to respond to very specific online questionnaires and had very little opportunity to express themselves freely. So it, there was a very nice platform, but in the platform, you have only questionnaires and not free spaces to express yourself. Because the political authority has already chosen what topics or what kind of topic can be discussed. However, other initiatives of a more consultative and deliberative nature have produced good results. I am thinking, for example, about the consultation also in France for the law for a digital republic in 2015, where internet users could propose amendments or modi changes to the bill, and they also could provide arguments for and against. They could indicate their sources, and they can vote for this or that proposal. And this initiative did little to broaden participation beyond the usual suspect. But we can agree that the process itself was of high quality and led to substantial addition to the original bill. That is to say that it's difficult to have, at the same time, quality of deliberation and broader inclusion. You can have one or the other, but it's very difficult to have both at the same time. I think what I just would like to say is complementary to, to what was just said and maybe adding a different perspective to what just said. But indeed, digital platforms play indeed an increasing role to engage people in deliberative processes at, at different levels. And this has been accelerated by the COVID crisis. So nowadays we are used to interact online and digital platform is not something completely new for most of the people. I would, however, distinguish two levels that seems the most common one in relation to institution consultation processes, which obviously include the constitutional processes on which we are particularly interested. On the one hand, we notice that online forums and digital platforms have been used, increasingly used to replace face-to-face -face deliberation that generally took place in, in many public. This implies that instead of deliberating face-to-face, -face, citizens had to deliberate online. I'm saying had because it was not 
an initial choice. It is a, a choice that been, uh, has been imposed by the, the COVID crisis. While the fact of deliberating online is more practical, in particular because you don't have to organize the venue, the problem, organizational problem that a, a venue could imply, and also online debate consultation may allow also for more inclusivity meaning that oh you're at home you you may have family you may have children so it's easier you can stay at home and participate to an online consultation what we observed in uh, particularly in, in in luxembourg with regards to institutional online form of consultation it's two major issues the first is a form of online fatigue uh, people were working at home, they were on Zoom, they were on WebEx the entire day, and then in the evening, voila, we invite you also for an online consultation about an important institution reform. Many people expressed in survey a form of online fatigue, which also had the consequences is that it decreased the concentration of the participant. Uh, maybe they, they just turn off the screen and were wearing pajamas and doing other things and also the willingness to engage seriously in a deliberative process. The second main issue with regards to this transfer to face-to-face mini-publics to online form of deliberation or debate is that online meetings do not favor a sense of group feeling or community feeling. It is, however, is very important to, to keep the process going in time and to encourage qualitative form of deliberation. Here again, we can take the case that was mentioned before, the climat, which one part was online and then they had the possibility to go face to face. Or we got another example. It's Luxembourg in transition in Luxembourg, where citizens, 30 citizens were invited to elaborate proposition about how Luxembourg should position itself to achieve climate neutrality in 2050. And here again, the citizens initially had to debate online and then they could debate face-to-face. And in the survey, it was clear that they were very happy to meet face-to-face, and they were saying that nothing is, is replacing the face-to-face meeting. So that we, that is for the first usage of online platform, which is a usage that would tend to replace face-to-face uh, meeting. The second usage of digital platform is when they are used in consultative process in a complementary way to traditional mini-publics, face-to-face mini-public with the objective to inform the citizens in general and to allow the broader engagement of the citizen, the so-called uh, general public. And this is, for instance, the case, the famous case of the constitution reform in Iceland, but also it is also the case of the Luxembourgish constitutional reform. As I said before, is the main objective is to allow the general public, that is the public that has not been selected in the mini-public, to also give their opinion. So to, to be more inclusive with regards to the general public. So what the different studies show is the following. In general, the role of the online engagement within the process has not been formalized in advance, leading to a sense of improvisation and absence of transparency concerning when and how the suggestion or opinion emerging online have been taken into consideration in the, in the final draft proposal. So it is not clear the link, linkage between the online process and the face-to-face process is generally absolutely not clear, and this is very problematic. And the second problem is that there is a phenomenon 
of auto selection through the online pl platform. They were not confronted to different information and they were not selected in order to be representative of the population. Therefore, one can wonder what is the legitimacy to influence the consultative process. Thank you, Rafael and Stefania. I think, again, we have a very clear idea of what is going on with examples you provide. Let me now move to a final question, which is to somehow you have both answered in, in, in different ways about the conditions that the initiatives should fulfill to lead to deliberation and generation of well-funded contents. Is this just a question of institutional designs? Well, again, it's a very difficult question, and actually, I'm, I'm not a practitioner. My viewer is uh, obviously quite limited. So I think it's, uh, yes, of course, it's a question of design, because the design of a platform uh, is uh, uh, crucial to uh, structure what people, what citizens would like to say. But, of course, and it's quite basically to say that it's a question of a political will, because one of the very important points, of course, is the link between what people said and what political actors decide. Uh, Raphael has gave, gave um, sorry, the, um, the example of uh, the Convention pour le Climat. And um, for this example, and also, for example, of the great national debate, political authority have asked people to express themselves on online platforms. And at the end, political authorities have decided to make other choices. For example, during the great national debate, there are a lot of a proposal about the RIC, the, um, uh, in the Referendum by Citizen Initiative. So something which has a direct link with constitutional changes. And uh, President Macron decided to put away uh, this question. A lot of people can express themselves on online platform, included platform uh, designed by political authorities, but at the end there is no link with political decision and it would prevent people to take part in this initiative. Second thing is about the question of information and transparency, because actually few people know that they are a consultative or deliberative event. Only people who are already interested in political matters uh, participated because they are the only one to know that there are this kind of consultative or deliberative processes. And we can see that people won't be on institutional platform, but they, they, they say a lot of things on social networks. And the public authority can have a glance on what people say on social networks, but they don't say the same thing on social networks and on online platforms. And they, they don't know how they can manage both. So, in general, I believe that online processes, online initiatives can contribute to a valid form of deliberation and produce valid outcome. If we look now at institutional consultative process, the main contribution is to link, as I said before, the large, large public to the mini public so that the larger public does not feel alienated by the process. A consultative process would therefore be further legitimized if we're able to create this link. Why would it be further legitimized? Not only would a consultative process attempt to represent the diversity of views in society through the random selection of participation, not only will allow for a form of epistemic form of legitimation by promoting informed uh, deliberation, but it would also allow for more inclusivity by allowing people to express their opinion online. The question, as I said before, is 
how to link, how this link should be organized, as Stephanie said before, between the online and offline process. Here again, the question is, how can we include the voice of the broader public in a consultative process, knowing that these participants, online participants, generally stem from the most active part of society that is not representative of the general opinions? I did not observe so far any participative experiment that was able to connect convincingly the online participation with the mini-public, so the offline participation. So it is an open question that we still need to resolve. Do you agree, Stephanie, with that or not? Uh, I think it's quite pessimistic for the for the conclusion. But yes, I agree, because uh, it has been a long time. It's a challenge. It's a yes. challenge that yes. remains to be really solved, and it's our challenge now. I think we don't know how we can do it. We don't know. No, you were mentioning uh, social media and the uh, connecting. Yes. Yeah, but mm, I'm not convinced as well. It's uh, We need to formalize it in, in a clear but, way. But, uh, but lay citizens are not on institutional platform. They are not there. No, but the lay citizens are selected to the mini-publics. Yes, through, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we should also say that the selection of lay citizens to mini-publics is also a sort of illusion because there as well there's a, a clear form of uh, auto-selection and even if you send a questionnaire asking them from which uh, category, you know, uh, to be sure that you've got the less favorized category, the people less educated, etc., still uh, there is a political bias, always. They will always tend to be more, for more progressive parties. You will never get the extreme party unless you select them through a questionnaire. But otherwise, you don't get it. And this is clearly what we saw, what we see now in, the, in what we are doing in Luxembourg to the Climat Biege route. We will need to organize a new session to go in depth on the discussion. Let me now yeah, close the episode. We have analyzed the promises and pitfalls of digital democracy. Information and communication technologies are just part of our lives, and we see that in any other, as in any other social phenomena, the conditions for good practices are not only neither mainly related to technical aspects, but to political and social factors. I would like to, to close with some remarks on what uh, Rafael Kies and Stephanie Woksik explained to us. First of all, we started talking about reaching to the convert, work by Pippa Norris, which was quite uh, you know, controversial at the time of publication, where she explained how digital participation was to, hum to somehow increasing the political gap between the already political participants and the ones who were not engaged. Uh, however, as Stephanie remarked, in this work was published before the emergence of digital networks in 2006, 2007. Twitter and Facebook started to play a role, and after that, many other social networks, which have changed quite a lot the scenario we are facing now. And in this sense, Rafael and Stephanie both stressed that now, yes, digital networks do have an effect on political mobilization. And there is one side in which you can see more inclusion of previously not included groups. But at the same time, Rafael mentioned the spiral of silence of Elizabeth Neumann and this self-confirmation effect that is playing a quite important role in, this, in spreading fake news, for instance, and in 
increasing the support for anti-mainstream parties and extreme ideas. We are facing this, and it's expressed by political polarization and affective polarization is very well connected with what is going on on the networks. But we already talked about the platforms and Stephanie mentioned that there is a tension between the quality of the deliberation and broader inclusion. And it's quite difficult to get both at the same time. In terms of what happened in COVID times, there was a replacement of face-to-face deliberation by online deliberation, which has to somehow provided solutions, but the same at the same time created new problems for the process and for the future. And finally, and I think very interesting and relevant point, achieving democratic ideals with technological devices is a challenge because design is crucial, but it's a question of political will. And one of the main challenges is related to the design, but it's also related to the influence expected on these forums and the real inclusion, which, as you both said, is a real challenge for these kind of platforms. So thank you, Rafael Kiss and Stephanie Woksik for sharing your thoughts with us today in Constitution for Democracy. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm.